0: Walk not as unwise, but as wise. If you want to walk worthy of your position in Christ, then walk in biblical wisdom.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church In South Lake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part two of Watch Where You Step. You know, it helps to keep your eye on where you step as you walk. It could mean the difference between moving along or falling into a hole. Well, friend, the same principle applies to your pursuit of biblical wisdom. Have you ever stopped to think about what might be getting in your way? Think about it. The simplest way to grow as a believer is to study God's Word and spend time in prayer. Yet, too often, the things of life distract from what is of utmost importance. Well, today, Tom will continue to examine the ways that believers are called to pursue biblical wisdom, sharing some practical insights for you to consider from Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 18. Let's join our teacher right now on the Word Unleashed.
0: We have paths. We have predictable patterns of behavior. We have habits, lifestyle. And Paul is saying when it comes to those patterns, those paths, those habits of thinking and talking and living, we are not to be like those that God would call unwise. On the other hand, we are consistently to be walking like those God considers unwise wise. Notice wisdom here is about living. It's not about what you know, it's about how you translate what you know into how you live, how you walk, the paths you take each day. As one commentator writes, Andrew Lincoln, to live as a wise person is not just to have knowledge, but to have skill in living. To have the sort of understanding that authenticates itself in practice. Now, how can we do that? I mean, Titus 3 tells us we used to be foolish. How can we now consistently be walking as those who are thinking and speaking and behaving as biblically wise? You know, here's the incredible thing to me about Scripture. I I never cease to be amazed by it. Because Paul here gives us a very clear command. If you want to honor Christ, you want to walk worthy of his calling in your life, of what he has done for you, then walk as those who are wise. And then he turns right around and lays out the path. In the next four verses, Paul marks out the path to a life of biblical wisdom. Do you want to live wisely in the world in a way that God would consider wise? If you're a believer, you do, because God's placed that within you. There is within your heart a desire to please Him, to walk in paths every day that honor Him. How do you do that? Well, there are several crucial components of a life of biblical wisdom. Crucial components. If you want to live a life of biblical wisdom, the first component that must be true is this. Examine your ways. Examine your ways. Look at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. The warning, be careful, it's one of the common Greek words for seeing. It's like Paul is saying, watch out, look out. In this context, it means to contemplate, to think about, to weigh carefully. It's a command for every believer to carefully weigh to contemplate how he walks. Murray writes, he bids them keep a close watch on the principles by which they are regulating their lives. I cannot tell you how important this is. This is absolutely crucial to every one of us as believers because one of the surest ways to ensure that you will live a life of a fool is by never stopping to think about the paths you're on. Let me say that again. One of the surest ways to ensure a life of foolishness is simply never to think deeply about the course you're on. There's a proverb that gripped my heart many years ago now, That makes this point. I want you to look at it. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14 and verse 8. Solomon writes this, the wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. Notice he says, wisdom, the wisdom of the sensible person, that is the wise person is to understand here the word understand the hebrew word understand means to give thought to to consider it's one of the hebrew words that's sometimes used of meditation one of the practices that distinguishes the wise is that he considers he gives thought to he meditates on his way now the hebrew word for way describes a well-worn path When it's used metaphorically as it is here, it refers to one's habits, the path you take day after day, the ruts you make by your behavior day after day. And he's saying, what makes a wise person wise, one of the defining characteristics of a wise person is that he gives careful thought to, he meditates on, he understands his paths, the paths he takes day after day, or the way he takes On the other hand, notice the second half of the verse, the foolishness of fools is deception. One of the practices that distinguish fools is deception. What kind of deception? Well, you need to understand a little bit about Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is not like English poetry. It's not defined by rhyme. It's defined primarily by parallelism. That is, there's one line and a second line that somehow is parallel. Sometimes that second line is synonymous, that is it just tells you more about the first line. Other times it is antithetical, that is it is the opposite of the first line. And that's what we have here. And so you have these two juxtaposed. That means then that in the second line of our proverb we're looking at, deception is the opposite of understanding or thinking or meditating. So in other words, Proverbs 14.8 is referring to the fact that the fool refuses to think deeply about his way. He refuses to understand his way about his patterns of life, and that leads only to deception. Not the deception of others, but his own self-deception. He is self-deceived because he doesn't think about his way, his paths. You remember back in Proverbs 1, the passage I just read for you, it ends in verse 32 by saying this, the complacency of fools will destroy them. In other words, they're at careless ease. They just don't care. They just want to have the next joy, the next pleasure. They never pause to think about anything deeply and certainly not about the paths their own. Solomon makes the same point over in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 14. He says, the wise man's eyes are in his head. In other words, he's using them. He's looking. He's seeing what's going on. He's seeing his path. He's observant. But, verse 14, the fool walks in darkness. The fool doesn't have his eyes in his head. The fool isn't seeing. He just stumbles ahead without thought careless, complacent, just doing the next thing that comes. Listen, Paul wants us to know in Ephesians 5 that if you and I are going to live a life of biblical wisdom, we must examine our ways. We must think deeply about the paths we're on. If you want to live in biblical wisdom, you cannot be one of the lemmings who follow the crowd to the sea. You must meditate on, you must give careful thought to your way, don't deceive yourself, don't live an unexamined life. John Stott writes, everything worth doing requires care. We all take trouble over the things which seem to matter to us, our job, our education, our home and family, our hobbies, our dress and appearance. So as Christians, we must take trouble over our Christian life. We must treat it like the serious thing it is. How practically do you do this? How do you examine your own ways? Well, biblically, there's one primary tool that's given to us to examine our ways, and that is by setting aside time regularly to read and meditate on and apply the Scripture. Why? Well, look over at James 1. James makes this very clear as to why the Bible is so important in our lives as believers. One of the reasons it's so important. James chapter 1, it's in a section about receiving the Word. In fact, verse 21, he says this James 1 Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, with a humble heart, receive the Word implanted which is able to save your souls. Be receptive to the Word, and that Word and a love for it has been implanted in your soul, and it is what rescues you. But it's not enough just to receive it in the sense of to acknowledge it's God's Word and to hear it. Verse 22, "...but prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror." For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. The Word of God, James says, is like a mirror in which we see our spiritual reflection. Without the Word of God, we think we look pretty good, don't we? I mean, we can begin to think that we're okay, that we're fairly spiritual, that we're, we're doing everything we ought to be doing. But the mirror of Scripture doesn't lie. It shows us, when we look into it, our true condition. But without the mirror, our self-perception can be terribly flawed. As one author says, our self-perceptions are as accurate as a carnival mirror. We need a true mirror. That's how it is with the Scripture. It's like a mirror for our souls. And when we look into it, we examine, it examines our ways. Or to use another metaphor, the Word of God is like a straight edge used in building. When I worked in the building trade, you could always check the level or plumb of a wall by a plumb line, a taut string next to that wall, and you could immediately see whether that wall was crooked or straight. The Bible is like that. Lay the Scripture next to your normal patterns of behavior, and it will tell you whether your life is straight or whether it's crooked, by God's standard. So examine your life, and examine it by laying it alongside the Scripture. Let the Scripture be the mirror into which you, in which you see your reflection your honest spiritual reflection. But don't live life unexamined. If you want to live in biblical wisdom, you must examine your ways. There's a second crucial component of a life of biblical wisdom, Paul says in verse 16. Seize every opportunity. Seize every opportunity. In verse 16, Paul is stressing the urgency or importance of pursuing biblical wisdom. Notice verse 16, making the most of your time. We use this verse in a variety of ways, and I guess that's okay because it is kind of a proverb. Even Paul uses it differently over in Colossians chapter 4 verse 5, similarly but different. So what does the phrase mean here? How is it used in Ephesians 5? Well, first of all, notice that it's not the main verb of the sentence, but rather it's a participle. I know I'm asking you to bring back distant memories, but try to remember a little bit of English grammar here. It will help you understand this. This is a participle. It modifies the main verb of its clause. It explains how to walk wisely. Walk wisely by making the most of your time. Now, the English words making the most translate just one Greek word. It's the word literally translated redeeming. It's the language of the marketplace. It means to go into the marketplace and to buy up something. It's going into the marketplace, and in this case, buying up not some commodity, but rather opportunities. And the Greek word for opportunities is an interesting word as well. It's actually one of the Greek words for time. There are two Greek words that really represent time. One of them is kairos. And the other is chronos. You recognize chronos. It's the word from which we get words like chronology, chronicle. It refers, chronos does, to time as the passing successive moments on the clock. It's like the way we use the English word time in the sentence, what time does the service start? We're talking about time as those successive moments passing. That's not the word used here. The other word, and the word that's used here, is the word kairos. It refers to seasons, our epochs. It's similar to how we use the English word time in that famous sentence from literature, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Now we're not talking about successive moments, but we're talking about periods of time, seasons of time, windows of opportunity. So he's saying, redeem those Seasons of time. This has led some to translate it like this. Snap up every opportunity that comes. Or take full advantage of every opportunity. Paul wants us to know that if we're going to walk in biblical wisdom, we must redeem or buy up the opportunities that come our way. Time is so elusive. The seasons pass. I don't often quote Horace Mann favorably, but Horace Mann once wrote this intriguing words, "'Lost, yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each set with sixty diamond minutes. No reward is offered, for they are gone forever.' A foolish life is one that wastes precious time and opportunities. On the other hand, a person who lives in biblical wisdom redeems the opportunities to pursue biblical wisdom. Why is this so important? Well, look at the end of verse 16. Notice the reason Paul gives, for because the days are evil. We are to live out a life of biblical wisdom, seizing every opportunity to grow in wisdom, because we are surrounded by the foolishness of a world under the control of the God of this age, Satan himself. As Harold Honer writes, believers are commanded not to let the God of this age intimidate them, but to take advantage of every opportunity in this immoral environment to live a life that pleases God. It's like Moses in the one psalm that Moses wrote. The oldest psalm in the Psalter, Psalm 90, verse 12. He says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may fly our hearts unto wisdom. In other words, God, teach us to live in the light of the brevity of this life and eternity so that we can really pursue wisdom carefully and with urgency. If we want to live in biblical wisdom, we can't waste the opportunities we have to pursue it. J.I. Packer writes, the opposite of wisdom is folly. And listen to how he defines folly. It is the short-term self-indulgence which marks out the person who doesn't think about long-term priorities and goals but lives on a day-to-day basis asking this question, what is the most fun thing to do now? That's folly. The only way to live a wise life is to live on purpose to determine what's truly important, and to pursue those opportunities every day. And specifically, in the context of Ephesians 5, this command to seize the opportunities has to do with seizing every opportunity to pursue a life of biblical wisdom. What that really means, very practically, is what you do with your free hours. You ever thought about this? You, you have as much time as anyone in the world has ever had. As much time as Jesus had. As much time as Moses had. As much time as the President of the United States has. You have as much time as anyone has ever had. And there are certain numbers of those hours that are spoken for, and there's really nothing you can do about it. But there are other hours that are free. That's the difference. Listen to J. Oswald Sanders in his book, Spiritual Leadership, He writes, after making a generous allowance of eight hours a day for sleep and rest, and few really need more than that, three hours a day for meals and social interaction, ten hours a day for work and travel on five days, there still remain no fewer than 35 hours unaccounted for in every week. What happens to those hours? How are the extra two days in the week invested? The whole of man's contribution to the kingdom of God might well turn upon how those crucial hours are employed. They will determine whether his life will be commonplace or extraordinary. What do you do with those hours? How are you using them? Are you buying up from those hours every available opportunity to grow in biblical wisdom? You say, how can I do that? Well, consider the example of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian, Princeton theologian, wrote down a list of goals so that he could walk in biblical wisdom. He called them his resolutions, 70 of them actually. This was fairly common for men at the time to compile a list of their life goals, their resolutions. He began writing his resolutions in 1722 less than a year after he came to Christ and when he was about 18 years of age. He wrote 21 of the 70 in one sitting. And he steadily refined them and wrote additional ones for about a year, completing them in August of 1723 before he was 20 years old. Here are some excerpts from his finished set. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help... I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good profit in the whole of my duration, that is my whole life. He says, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolve to always be finding out fit objects of charity and liberality. In other words, people whom he could help financially. Resolve to study the Scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Resolved never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. Never give up, he said. And then there's this one. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. That's what it means to buy up the opportunities. Resolutions are wonderful tools, but they're ineffective if you never look at them. And so Edwards, at the beginning of his list, writes this, remember to read over these resolutions once a week. Elsewhere he writes, resolve to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. Listen, a wise life is an examined life. It's a life in which opportunities to pursue biblical wisdom are not Wasted. Perhaps you're reading, as I am, some of those early accounts in our Lord's life. And I was struck with Luke chapter 2, where on two different occasions we're told in his human nature, Jesus grew in wisdom. I'm not talking about his God, he was always perfect wisdom as God. We're talking about Jesus as a human, he grew in wisdom. So much so that when he comes back to the synagogue, there in Nazareth, and he speaks, all of the people that knew him growing up said, where did he get this wisdom? That's the question, isn't it? Where did he get it for his humanity? And where do we get it? Well, the answer is in the next part of this passage that we'll look at together. Let's pray together.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with Part 2 of his current series, Watch Where You Step. Tom will have Part 3 for you on our next broadcast, and we do hope you'll join us then. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, A Book of Pastoral Prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory.